Hello and welcome to Here Are the Nominees. I am Brent, joined by David. That's me. And uh, yeah, we are back for our, what, fifth episode, I think. So uh, we're we're, uh, talking about The Quiet Man, John Ford's 1952, very, very Irish movie. (laughs) Um, In honor of The Quiet Man, I was going to do my entire part whispered. But then I thought I thought against it. Um, but first, you know, I, I feel like we should start off with a little banner. How are you? How's it been going? Well, good. I'm just trying to be uh, trying to survive being uh, assaulted by Georgia allergies. <laughs> uh, the, po- the pollen storm mm-hmm. local to here. If we did this podcast uh, last week, I probably was going to have to apologize for the 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 sounds of dripping. People might have said like. Did, do you have a leaky a leak in your house or something? No, that's just my entire face and my whole thing that's going on right now. The I'm a little I'm a little better uh, today, so it was good timing for it. The the pollen count numbers in Georgia I don't they've lost meaning to me. Like I don't know what the numbers really are anymore because uh, one day I was uh, watching the the morning news and they said the pollen count's going to be in the three hundreds today. Watch out! And I was like, okay, that sounds like a lot. And then. Uh, a week later, they're like, the pollen count is 5,000. I was like, what? <laughs> is 300 bad or not? I, I mean, 5,000 is, it's like the uh, Scoville scale for uh, for pepper heat. It's just like, it's like oh, uh, jalapeno is 100. Okay, well, that's pretty hot. What's this pepper? Uh, 3 million? <laughs> <laughs> is it logarithmic? Like, how does that scale work? <laughs> It's it's like my director rankings. It's uh, <laughs> it's exponential. Yeah, so a lot of some of it's science, a lot of it's art to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Now, I uh, the reason I I, uh, I I could tell you what Daisy were talking about there is I have a pollen calendar from Atlanta Allergy website, which I only have like saved because in times of COVID, like I need to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> just being paranoid yeah. is this is this pollen or is this covid and when i'm like uh you know i'm i've got a cough and i got a runny nose and all this kind of stuff i look and said oh yeah the pollen count is eight thousand. <laughs> that that makes sense well speaking of paranoia over covid mine should be uh, subsiding pretty soon i got my second shot today i got my second shot today oh wow <clears throat> second shot high five hey so, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, I drove to nearly North Carolina to get it from a mass vaccination center in Clarksville, mm-hmm. Georgia, but, uh, yeah, it was, it's, it was easy in and out. So, so, uh, bef- before we move on to the quiet man, I, I want to hear how your, um, your 93rd Oscars, uh, watch is going. It's going, uh, so yeah, th- this is this is my Oscars being uh, You're a person it. who's been kind of well in the l- last couple of years being a little theater averse mainly because I have a two year old and I work a lot. Um, it was hard to keep up with the race. I knew I just couldn't do it for most normal Oscars when mm-hmm. things are coming out in theaters like after nominations take place. Like I'd have to go run to the theater like 10 times to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you know, you know, having a kid kind of changes your, your free time a bit. Yes. And you know, you gotta, in your free time, you gotta give your spouse free time too, or your partner free time. 
everyone's got to keep their sanity. But man, this this Oscars is my thing. It's the streaming <laughs> Oscars. I have the same access that everybody has. You know, it's things that were on uh, Prime on Apple TV Plus with my one week free trial subscription, <laughs> then bailed <laughs> Hulu and everything. And just renting things on VOD. Uh, from 41 nominated movies, I have six left. Wow. Um, and one of which is not available in any... There's a foreign language film, uh, The Man Who Sold His Skin, that is not available in any kind of format. So I have six left, and one of them is is uh, Best Original Song, the Sophie Loren uh, Italian oh, yeah. language movie on Netflix. Yeah. That's the last streamer I can do. And I can rent a couple, including uh, Roberta Benigni's remake of Pinocchio, which it looks like nightmare fuel. And I'm I'm trying to put it up as lost as far as I can. If I get close enough where I have to see it, I'll do it. But if it looks like like um, the man who sold the skin is not going to be available before time, I'm going to just punt that one too. So, um, it, it this might be like a what what is, is it the Mandela effect? possibly that that's kicking in here did did mm-hmm. roberto benini do a pinocchio movie before yes he did oh okay so this is his second pinocchio movie okay yes i think in he directed a pinocchio movie and i believe this because i don't want to look up any facts about <laughs> any other pinocchio things uh where he played pinocchio and oh. just just imagine the you know, Oscar seat jumping Italian that we all love being a little wooden boy. And now it's like the next generation Pinocchio where it's another director. I forget the director's name, but Roberto Benigni is now uh, Geppetto. And they have a kid with this uh, very alarming looking makeup from just the still images that I, I've been able to look at without without uh convulsing i really hope for the song nomination this feeler in movie that it's not that that it's not just a song that plays over the end credits where you have to sit and watch the entire movie (laughs) for this one nomination of a song where you need no context really to enjoy it you could read the wikipedia plot and for those movies and uh and then just listen to the song i thought i mean i thought a couple years ago that they passed a rule where you couldn't just play in the end credits but this year every movie except one well i don't know about the sophie loren movie but every other movie that i have seen it's like it's the first song that starts the credits i think the rule was it can't be in the middle of the end credits which is still it's kind of like a cop-out right like the uh trial of the chicago seven song um it's just the credits start playing and then the oscar nominated song things um, I think we're we're of similar minds there that I, I can't stand that. That's such like it adds nothing really to a movie when the movie experience is over and then this plays. Yeah. Like I, I don't know, you might as well have like best best poster or best like marketing push. Like it has <laughs> nothing to do with the film. Right. Except for one, which is like it's weirdly the one I really want the most to happen is uh Eurovision song context. Uh, story of fire saga the husevik song <laughs> it is a central element to the plot that uh that uh, that song plays and the song's good and i want it so bad for that will ferrell eurovision movie to win that song oscar it's weirdly like one of my top things i want to happen i haven't even seen that movie and yet i also really want that just for 
you know, my long-standing hatred of in-credit songs getting nominated that don't play elsewhere in the movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd feel better a little bit about it if there was also like a best soundtrack category where you could reward a movie for having, you know, consistently, I don't know, for, for having music that really threads through the, the, the narrative of the movie really well. Um, but there's no such sure. thing like that. But so all we're left with is best song, best original song. And so I at least want that to kind of satisfy that, that same itch. Yeah. The, the, the Emmys a couple of years ago added best music supervision, which is like your selections of songs, like your classic needle drops that like, like Scorsese and Tarantino would do this just like iconic, but it wasn't written for the movie. Mm-hmm. It was a award for that. I really think, if Oscar keeps doing this for best original song, I'd rather them just drop that and go to best music supervision. Like, who who got the best Spotify playlist and queued it up? I know there's more <laughs> art to it when it's done really well, but um, yeah, just one of my weird, one of our shared weird things about uh, the Oscars. But uh, yeah, it's going it's going good. It's it's a strong crop of movies actually. There's there's I've discovered a bunch that I really love, um, even with. Uh, uh, a year where a lot of things skipped to the next year, the big blockbusters, but those aren't usually big Oscar movies anyway. A lot of smaller movies getting a lot of publicity that are very, very good. I completely whiffed on Judas and the Black Messiah because I uh, had forgotten the Oscar eligibility window for this year, and that movie got released on HBO Max in like like early February, I think, and mm-hmm. it was just like right in right before the cutoff and I, and I saw it and I was like, eh, it'll be back on HBO by the time that these Oscars roll around in a year. So I don't need to watch this and completely forgot uh, that it was uh, eligible for the Oscars. And by the time it got nominated, I had like three days left to watch it or something. And I just, I just never got around to it, but I've seen, so you've seen 36 movies or 35 movies uh, of the 41. I think I've mm-hmm. seen maybe six or seven. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've seen like uh, Emma and Tenet and uh, a few randos. I've seen a couple of Disney movies, Pixar movies. And then uh, I've seen Sound of Metal and Another Round and Nomadland. And I really liked all three of those movies. But that may be as far as I get on this year's uh, Oscar push. It's just going to be a big incomplete for me, I think. Well, a lot of them will probably still be on streaming afterwards if you want to catch up with Trial of Chicago 7. Oh, I've seen that. I, f- I keep forgetting that's nominated. Um, yeah, I was not a big fan of that movie. Um, so Yeah, it's it's the most, like, it is what it is kind of movie. It's like, it's exactly the movie you think it is of, like, uh, you know, what do you think an Aaron Sorkin movie about the Chicago 7 is going to be? It's like, that's pretty much it. You can kind of write some of the dialogue in your head and some of the grandstanding and walks and talks and speechifying is going to be. And it, it, it is. Yeah. Uh, this is not about the trial of Chicago 7, which is eligible for this podcast. Uh, and it will be put into the randomizer. This episode is about the quiet man. So, the quiet man. Uh, when, uh, when this was assigned... What was your level of familiarity with The Quiet Man? Had you seen it? Had you uh, did you kind of know about it? Um, 
what 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 baggage did you bring into this? Um, <clears throat> being an Oscar guy, I knew it was one of the four best director Oscars that uh, John Ford won, um, and uh, it's it's I knew it was one of the ones he won where the, his film didn't win Best Picture. I mean, this Oscars, he has four Best Director Oscars, and only one of them ha- he has a Best Picture for, um, which is uh, interesting. Um, besides that, what, I kind of What movie just is knew... that? Do you know? Or, of course you know. Uh, How, How Green Was My Valley. Ah, okay. Which I actually caught up with in the past week, because it just came to streaming for the first time in a while. By the way, I think uh, my, I have never seen How Green Was My Valley, but my theory while watching The Quiet Man was that uh, the answer to how green was my valley was not green enough. Let's make the quiet man. <laughs> this movie, I don't know how green that valley was, but this movie, pretty sure is greener. This is the greenest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty. You almost like did exactly my letterbox review, which was, uh, you know, I just did dot dot dot. Pretty hard to tell because the film is in black and white. <laughs> You can say, like, it's just a bold movie title for a black and white movie, I guess. It could have been, like, How Grand Is My Valley? I mean, it's, it's like, two years after Gaunt or Wizard of Oz. So it's not like we couldn't have done <laughs> right. color. Uh, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I just, I've known that The Quiet Man existed. And I knew it was kind of a pivot for John Wayne. Hmm. Um, I forget, there was some, like... It's like a TV show or a movie or a song or something that referenced Quiet Man is that that weird one where John Wayne isn't a cowboy and doesn't want to fight. So that's kind of what I know knew it as. Uh, how about yourself? What was your Quiet Man experience? So I think your your what do you come to it with? I, I knew it was about uh, a boxer in Ireland. And uh, I think because my mom had this on DVD, and she, I think she liked this movie. And after watching it, I can see why. Um, it's a, a lighthearted tone and a, a romance and a comedy. And mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, I think she had tried to convince me to watch it growing up, and I was just never really interested. In. I mean, it's not the most gripping title of a movie <laughs> for 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 a young person to to latch onto. Hey, I got a I got a, a really funny, exciting movie for us to watch. What is it? The Quiet Man. No thanks. Give me the Loud Man. Do you have the Loud Man? I'll watch the Loud Man, the Yelling Man, but not the Quiet Man. So it's like the the man who doesn't enjoy jokes or humor. It's like I don't want to see that. Right. The guy, the man who, the guy who sits. Um. But yeah, I, I, so I knew. Uh, and I knew Maureen O'Hara was in it, but uh, and and John Wayne. But other than that, that was that was about it. I actually didn't know that this was a well-regarded uh, Oscar-nominated movie or Oscar-winning movie. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't know where it stood. I just know my mom liked it, and she likes you know rom-coms of various ages, and I think this kind of qualifies as that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that Victor McLaughlin was in it. Um, the guy who plays uh, Will Danaher. Mm-hmm. Um, I think last year, or when I first got the Criterion channel, one of the movies I saw was uh, one of the few John Ford movies I know is The Informer. It's mm. another one of the things he won Best uh, Director for, and Victor McLaughlin won uh, 
I hope I'm saying that right. Some of these Irish names and and <laughs> Welsh names and yeah, and, I, uh, I, be, I believe Scottish. He's, Eng- he's English. <laughs> yeah. But. So, um, yeah. So for forgive me for anything I'm going to say, but uh, he won Best Actor for it in uh, 1935 or so, mm-hmm. and it's a really uh, it's a really great performance. Like it's it's uh, he plays a drunk. Um, I think former IRA member who, who snitches on someone and like lives with the guilt and is a pretty convincing drunk. It's like a really kind of methody ahead of its time performance, or he was just kind of that guy. (laughs) It's kind of a through line to this movie. Yeah. Um, Um, so, uh, so, so yeah, give me, give me your your spoiler here. Did, Did you like the quiet man? Um, It, it was charming. Um, I had a, I did have a lot of problems or some problems with it. Um, maybe we can talk about some of them later. Um, mm-hmm. There are definitely parts <clears throat> that I genuinely admire. Um, the things that John Ford does, uh, some of the actors, and uh, some of the tone is like really breezy and and. Uh, um, just easy to get along with kind of um especially when we're in that uh that we spend i mean you spend pretty much the entire movie in that irish little irish village and it's uh it's kind of a nice cozy movie and except when it's not um and there's there's other parts where uh i was really struggling to figure out why they did some of the stuff they did and wasn't really enjoying it and kind of got pulled out a bit so i'd, I'd say it was probably a mixed bag um mm. what, what, were, what was your 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 gut take on it i, I liked it I, I did i i i liked it I, I don't think i was blown away by anything um but i i did very much like it it's uh um i, I think i i enjoyed the three core performances um Maybe not as much John Wayne, but uh, the uh, I, I really like Maureen O'Hara in this movie and Victor McLaughlin. Uh, and uh, Barry Fitzgerald, too. Um, so uh, I think I think the movie kind of just asked me to have some fun with it, and I was, I was down for it. And it was a little more... I think breezy is a good word for it. And it was breezier than I expected it to be. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't really want to go to bat for this movie as like a, you know, one of the the great capital G great ones, but it's uh, I had a I had a good time. Yeah, um, so we're 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 semi aligned there. I I also uh, I, I love Maureen O'Hara. I, I want to watch her in in more stuff. She's also in uh, How Green Was My Valley or How How Black and White Was My Valley. <laughs> to call it that and she's really good in that too and she's just a uh um just a fountain of kind of charismatic restraint in in this movie and just fire fire she's just a person who's just full of fire and i really like michaeline barry fitzgerald's michaeline and and victor mclaughlin's just a lot of fun mm-hmm. one of my biggest things was just like the film is trying to be breezy and that's something that john wayne ain't for me <laughs> um he is uh 
he is very showy and obvious and stuff. And like some of the things where he's throwing a, like he's got to be mad. And instead of being like showing mad or something, he's literally like breaking sticks, kicking rocks. Like he's got to like, he's got to physically do stuff. He's got to show, show you some results for what mad is. He's like throwing um, a <clears throat> throwing a match down or something, throwing a cigarette down or you know. I feel like constantly in this movie. Yeah, and uh, so <clears throat> I think um, I think he's probably miscast in this role. In in my opinion, um, I haven't seen a lot of romantic comedies that he's done. I don't know that he has a lot of romantic comedies for me to have seen. Um, I don't think it's his bag, or at least his his version of that. Just uh, it's it's just not my tempo. Um, the other thing that is uh, just it's kind of jarring and and shocking is the amount of. Uh, well, I'll, I'll save it till the end. Okay. <laughs> the end is uh, his uh, cuckoo bananas <laughs> for me. <laughs> it's like a it's like the end of a Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> it's just uh, it is wild, but. Uh, all right, let's delve into the plot, and then we can we open it up for, I think, things you're wanting to get to. So, uh, Sure. In the 1920s, uh, by the way, I maybe I missed it. It was not clear to me it was in the 1920s. I had to look up when this movie was taking place because there were no cars in it, and I wasn't sure exactly when in time this was. I thought this was like one yeah. of those, uh, what's the Irish or- city that's lost in time in the, the, the movie? Uh, oh, Brigadoon? Brigadoon. Is that Brigadoon? Yeah, yeah. You have to think like, well, when did cars come to Ireland villages? Like, it, you could have told me the '60s, and maybe um, horses still work pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the 1920s, Sean Trooper Thorne Thornton, an Irish-born retired boxer from Pittsburgh, travels to his birthplace of Innisfree to purchase back the old family farm. Shortly after arriving, he meets and falls in love with fiery red-headed Mary-Kate Danaher, the sister of the bullying squire Red, Will Danaher. Will also wants to buy the Thornton family's old cottage and land, and he is angered when the property's current owner, the wealthy widow Tulane, accepts Sean's bid instead of his offer. Will then retaliates by refusing consent for his sister to marry. So a pretty clean little setup for what the, the... the thrust of the movie is going to be. Um, uh, I do like, uh, I will start, the, the first note I had was, uh, I love the way that John Ford kind of creates this little village, and the village has its own little personality, and it starts all the way at the train station with the yeah. um, the wildly overhelpful yet completely unhelpful locals who <laughs> cannot point the way to Innisfree somehow. Uh Yet they're all trying to, they all want to help for some reason. Yeah, they just have, so, there's, it's just something that's just so perfectly Irish about <laughs> their, their openness and their, uh, their offering of details. I wrote, I had, I had notes about the same part because I love the introduction to it. Um, like someone says like, uh, my sister's youngest goes there and she'd be happy to take you. And he's like, well, could she take me now? Oh, oh she's not here. And then, like, Innisfree, you trout and some in as long as your arms. Two weeks ago, I got one. At, at Innisfree? Oh, no, no, no. Not, no. not at Innisfree. <laughs> <laughs> and just, like, the uh, the unique charm and the quirk of the village. While all this stuff's going on, uh, the man we learn to be, Michaeline, just walks up and 
he's the one guy who isn't talking talking his ear off about random stuff. He's uh, just walks up, takes his luggage, and like puts it on a carriage. And John Wayne's uh, or uh, Sean Thornton is saying like, is that, "Are you gonna take me there?" It's kind of a nice quirky introduction to what the movie's gonna try to uh, gonna try to execute. So does Mickle was Mickleen expecting him, or does he just show up at the train station and kidnap all people who get off the train? Yeah, that's unclear because also <laughs> he he doesn't realize who Sean is until like midway on the voyage. Yeah, that that he actually knows him and and uh, knew him when he was a young boy. It's unclear. Did did Sean hire someone and he forgot about it? That part is a little like, it's kind of. Uh, it's uh, convenient how cute it is, but when you think about it, it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> I, I do love their back and forth dialogue on the the, the coach ride, which is uh, you know, like Cincinnati, no Pittsburgh, ah Massachusetts. <laughs> and it's, like his is just complete ignorance of uh, American things, uh, and I do also love uh, how Micheline keeps describing. Sean as Homeric <laughs> throughout the whole movie because of his return home after all these yeah. years. <laughs> um, yeah, the little little parts where he punctuates it are very, very funny. Um, we have the introduction. I guess it's along the way he sees uh, Mary-Kate Danaher, and uh, I, I thought it was just a stunning visual shot of Maureen O'Hara in her, like, blue dress or blue shirt or whatever and and her red hair against a, a background of entirely green fields and trees and whatnot and uh, yeah there's the two like large trees that frame it like mm-hmm. a painting like she's in the middle of these two trees that are just like forming the frame and it's yeah it's beautiful it's painterly yes actually a few shots in the movie that i that i think of as painterly uh, and Pretty much all of them involve Maureen O'Hara, <laughs> so I think yeah. the uh, I, I don't know if it's uh, if it's specifically John Ford or uh, Winton Hotch that uh, that knew exactly what they had on on hand with Maureen O'Hara and knew how you know good they she could look in uh, um, Technicolor, but she looks she looks amazing in Technicolor. Yeah, it's one of the the movie's secret weapons is how how beautiful the cinematography is. Yes. Um, and before when we talk about cinematography, we've talked about cheat codes before, like how Chloe Zhao does the West, like American those West, big yeah. vistas, yeah, or how uh, you know if you're in the North and just like expanses that of like mountains and stuff are mm-hmm. basically cheat codes for free cinematography. It could be that like. The um, the the green rolling hills and and craggy um, craggy terrain of of Ireland is just really that beautiful that you could just point a camera at it and especially some of the pictures of Sean going over the rocky terrain where the camera's pulled back and it's static and he's just going through it looks like uh, um, like some of the landscape painting from like the 1800s like turner paintings where yeah. it's just showing <clears throat> the beauty of nature there it makes me wonder why more i feel like ireland despite it's like renowned beauty is a fairly 
relatively, let's say relatively untapped well when it comes to uh, movie settings, because this is a, I mean, the American West, yeah, it's gorgeous, but there have been, you know, there tons of movies filmed out in the West. And I feel like most of these uh, cheat codes that we're talking about do get a lot of attention, but I don't, I can't think of that many, like, pretty Irish movies. Uh, I feel like it's kind of a lost setting, at least today, because I, I can't think of any movies from, from the last, from this century that have the same, I don't know, lush Irish quality to them. Can you? Maybe at least coming out of Hollywood, it could be um, just some movies that is not our background. Yeah. Like British and Irish productions where they're probably like, oh, the hills again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of like we're saying, oh, yeah, you're going to show the desert and it's a metaphor. We like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't think of too many else that really take advantage of, uh, of that just natural beauty, but it could just be our background. I don't know. Someone has to have done yeah. it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's begging for a camera to be pointed at it. It's so pretty. Now, the thing that's interesting is, uh, when we're talking about that, it's beautiful landscapes, and you, you'd love it. There's a shot where he is on a bridge, and I think he's talking to Mary-Kate, that's a painted background that is the most jarring hmm. shift I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> like, hmm. on, on location, and then on set with this painted background of what it's supposed to be, and it just, it, it can't compare. And it's just, yeah. I, I just, I, I noticed that, like, this, it looks like something that they had to, like a scene they had to film afterwards. After, that, that's me yeah. ascribing, that's me ascribing a potential intent with that, but... It's very probable because they they do a pretty good job throughout most of the movie of, of you know, filming on location. Or at least the appearance of location. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the beginning <clears throat> also right. gives me my favorite phrase of patty fingers. <laughs> no patty fingers. <laughs> when, when Sean notices uh, Mary-Kate, uh, you know, the first time she's kind of running away. And then uh, he sees her in the church, and he's he's trying to like bless her, I guess, as like a chivalrous man. Like, here, I'll I'll dip water for you. <laughs> and Meekly <laughs> asked, to, "Like, who taught you to make patty fingers in the holy water?" <laughs> I just like the the running thing of patty fingers. It comes up like four or five times <laughs> in the movie. Um, just just I guess a charming Irish phrase, uh, or just something I was uh, not aware of beforehand. Yeah, um, I don't know. There doesn't seem to be a lot of consensus on what Patty Fingers means. <laughs> I was looking it up. Um, all right. Uh, so we have the uh, the setup, and it's one of the you know it's it's a clear setup for for how the what the movie's going to be about, which is it's starting off as land, um, and then as uh, about romancing Mary Kate. So. At least as far as old Irish customs are concerned, two different pieces of property, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 how how Will is going to go about, or not Will, uh, Sean is going to go about acquiring both of them from Will, um, and so uh, yeah, I mean it, it's I, I like the I like the intro to the movie because it, I don't think it wastes a lot of time. I, I think it it gets kind of to the point. He's he's back. He's he's new in town so to speak uh he is very much an outsider yet he is from there and uh 
the the two main obstacles of the movie are, are presented before him. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I like uh, I do appreciate the sort of formulaic approach to uh, to this movie. Sure. Um, continuing in the plot, though, some vi- some village residents, including Father Peter Lonergan and local matchmaker come bookmaker Micheline Oge Flynn trick Will Danaher into believing that Widow Tulane will marry him if Mary-Kate is no longer under his roof. He gleefully allows the marriage, but he refuses to give Mary-Kate her dowry when he finds he was deceived. Sean, unschooled in Irish customs, professes no interest in obtaining the dowry, but to Mary-Kate, the dowry represents her personal value to the community and her freedom. She insists that the dowry must be received to validate their marriage, causing an estrangement between her and Sean. The morning after their wedding, villagers arrive at the couple's cottage with Mary-Kate's furniture, having persuaded Will to release it, but they could not convince him to pay the dower money. So, uh, this movie was much more about a dowry than I anticipated it being. Um, what were your What were your thoughts on on that? Because I was, uh, I kind of had to like, ref- like I had to ask my wife. I was like, okay, wait, real, real quick, let me pause this movie. Uh, how did dowries work? Because that is just uh, that was always just a a thing that used to happen that I was um, never really all that familiar with. Uh, and it sounds like Sean in the movie wasn't really all that familiar with it either, because I, mean, I, I assumed the practice was pretty much dead in the U.S. by that point. You mean your marriage didn't start with a dowry? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's almost like Jane Austen Tonian. How much? dowries uh, matter in this movie uh, a movie called the quiet man and mo- it's mostly managing um uh marital finances um yeah so what do you so how did you feel about because because i was I, I don't know it's 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 a strange it's a kind of a foreign topic for me and I did think it was interesting and maybe a little surprising, and maybe it shouldn't have been surprising, but this was my experience. I thought it was surprising how much the dowry mattered to Mary-Kate in the movie, when yeah. I would think that that's something traditionally that matters to the men involved in the, the patriarchal authorities who arrange the marriages and whatnot. And yet this, was, this mattered, it clearly matters to Will, but it mattered so much to Mary-Kate. Yeah, I think it's it's the transfer of uh, it may be a unique dowry in that it was because she was um, I guess their their parents had passed away and she was under the care of her older brother that it mm-hmm. represented the things that her mother um, passed on to her so it's it's her lineage and it's her history which. Um, is, is the big conflict in the movie, right? It's it's a fish-out-of-water American who's all about modernity, and the oldest mm-hmm. thing we have is, like, 100 years old. Coming to Ireland and Europe, where um, still steeped in culture that goes back thousands and thousands of years. Um, right. The interesting part is Mary-Kate, when we first meet her, and she's like a fiery redhead and speaks her mind and has a temper... Um, I guess, uh, I think Sean and a normal movie's reaction is she's probably someone who would eschew, um, norms and like, why would it Mm -hmm. matter to her? Like she's, uh, if she's interested in American coming to a village, like 
like Sean thinks she is. Um, like, why why would following these old customs? Um, the the funny of which is like the Sean Grin custom of like a, a, a courting chaperone that Sean has to do and kind of play by the rules. Like, why would mm-hmm. she want to follow all this? Um, right. Where, it, it, not not just the not just a matchmaker, but a matchmaker who uh, you announce the uh, you announce the courtship to the entire village and slowly ride through town. <laughs> what has to be? Uh, the, how did anyone ever court anyone? Because that would be incredibly awkward. I would want. I would never. I would just be whatever a male spinster is. Uh, that's <laughs> what I would have been had I been in this Irish village because. The, the idea of riding through town with someone I'm interested in is uh, mortifying. <laughs> yeah, it's not just a, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. We both kind of are interested kind of thing when you have to announce and ride through town and, you know, talk to everybody's family and they get to see you go. It's a little more dedication than that. So um, if it if it I'm sorry, if it doesn't go well, do you also have to ride back through town and let everyone know? that yeah the courtship another, has ended another pronouncement of uh you know we're, we're not continuing negotiations of uh courtship oh. and by the way the uh setting up of the the courtship to begin with is probably one of the best scenes in the movie <laughs> like the party of the first part agrees to oh, yeah. the everything that michaeline is doing is is just awesome in that yeah he's great um um go ahead uh, I've been interrupting you enough. Well, I've been talking for a while, but the, so the dowager thing is just interesting in that it's just, uh, there's, there's a weird throughput throughout the entire movie of, uh, I don't know what these people are doing when they're not being filmed, which makes it a little like weird. And maybe it's just because if they did, it wouldn't be a movie of how does he never ask her why something's important or ask her literally anything that would help him get to the conclusion at the end, vice versa. How does she not ask literally a single thing about his entire life before he steps foot in Innisfree, which would explain his part of setting up this huge conflict of the entire movie. Um, it's it's part of you know, those hurdles are part of a romantic comedy, but it I don't know it strained a little bit of incredulity of do they just sit silently in rooms and just like throw things at walls? Is that basically like their entire relationship we're not seeing? It's not being filmed. <laughs> That's a good point, and I did think about that during the movie. Uh, at least I thought about the uh, why does Mary Kate not know anything about Sean's background uh, as a boxer. <laughs> And uh, I don't know. I think I, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's just a different time. Maybe that's that. Maybe that sort of stuff was less important to people then. I, I don't. I don't know. It, it's it's a, maybe, it's a very good question. And in 2021, it's 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 weird. Yeah, maybe it's like it would have been rude, or uh, he could have lied. You know. Yeah. He was clearly trying to put it behind him. He he didn't want. He 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 asked the the reverend who the one person who who knew about his American exploits. He asked the reverend to not reveal to anyone what what 
you know, what he did in America, anything about him. So mm-hmm. I think he wanted everyone again, he's the quiet man. He's he's he he doesn't want people to really know much about where he's been or what he's done. Um, but it is, it makes sense for him to keep that from the town, but it doesn't make as much sense for him to keep it from Mary Kate. Yeah. The thing that is, is, is just, so that side of it could be explained by the movie machinations and societal norms. The part that I, it, that's a little tough to understand is how, Mary Kate literally tells him kind of point blank why what she wants, why it's important to her, and he is still flummoxed beyond belief and doesn't understand what's going on. And, she, and I know she t- she talks to the uh, she talks to the the father, Father Lonergan, like you know, can we speak in the Irish? Like literally, what's going on when it's gotten so bad, but. He literally just has to like listen to the word she says, and that's the key to the movie. <laughs> he's just yeah. He's just our American dude who just doesn't. It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter to him. I don't know. Right. Uh, continuing <clears throat> with the plot, Sean's refusal to fight her brother is attributed to cowardice by Mary Kate. However, Sean reveals to the local Protestant minister, Reverend Cyril Playfair, who also is a former boxer, that he once accidentally killed an opponent in the ring. Sean had sworn to give up fighting out of fear and guilt over the manslaughter, since the other man had a wife and children and was younger than him. Mary Kate also confesses her part in the quarrel to Father Lonergan, who berates her for her selfishness. She and Sean partially reconcile that night, and they share the bedroom for the first time since their marriage. Um, so, uh, so yeah, the, uh, actually, I, I thought John Wayne was maybe at his best in the flashback. I thought he did a pretty good job. Uh, the look of like, oh my God, what did I do? Yeah. Uh, he, he in, was in the he rings. Was, he was great in that scene. And it's also, it's very, uh, it's, it's a clean break from the kind of directorial style of like wide, static yeah. you know vistas and it's it's uh it's really like in your face pov like a like a jonathan demi or spike lee kind of thing which yes. i hadn't seen a lot in older movies of uh you know the the boxing gloves coming like right up to the camera and you getting to see that in his face you know that, that's a good call is that that's a really important flashback and it's really well done it is really well done and it is that sort of like that um I think the the zoom in on that really, to me, it's kind of like a there's nowhere for him to run. There's no extra space in the camera frame, and there's no there's nowhere else in America for him to hide at that point. He will forever be known as the man who killed, you know, this opponent. And mm-hmm. um, and I really like the way that that scene is shot, and uh, I think it's. It was jarring a little bit because I was like, "Oh man, John Wayne's got some, got some, got a little bit of chops here and there." Mm-hmm. If anyone ever demands it of him, um, <clears throat> it does make it a little more frustrating when his his he plays his inner conflict like so, um, like middle schooly, of like acting mad is is breaking stuff and throwing things and having mad face. 
Where like yeah. when when I ask my three year old to act mad, that's kind of the face she makes, <laughs> versus like the the pathos in that scene. Like we we know he can do it, and he just doesn't want to do it later. That's what kind of like uh, having that scene kind of made him a little more frustrating later on to me. Next morning, Mary Kate quietly leaves their cottage to board a train for Dublin, hoping this will cause Sean to take some action, though she does not actually intend to leave. Sean soon learns from Michaeline where she is, and he finds her waiting there for him. Followed by a crowd of villagers, he forces her to walk with him the five miles back to the Danaher farm. There, Sean confronts Will and demands the dower money. When Will refuses, Sean throws Mary-Kate back at her brother, declaring no fortune, no marriage, which is their custom, not his. The ultimatum shocks both Mary-Kate and Will, who finally pays the 350 pounds. Sean immediately burns it in the boiler, abetted by Mary-Kate, showing that it was not not the money, but her husband's courage and brother's respect she wanted all along. She leaves for home, but a humiliated Will takes a swing at Sean, only to be knocked down by a defensive counterpunch. So this is the prelude to the brawl. Um, so uh, what do you think about him dragging Mary Kate for five miles in this movie? This is part of the cuckoo bananas spin of the movie. Um, the movie about like nonviolence and restraint and regret over that. And uh, it starts here with me of... I mean, this is an act of violence of him taking her from the train station. I mean, he drags her across and uh, like beats her down the path and kicks her and hits her. And um, like we've we've seen them go through this this terrain like it's rocky. Like they're yeah. <laughs> there's they're they're going up and down hills and stuff. Well, they're it probably going to yeah. trip over one of the thousand Celtic markers that. They're in every shot of this movie, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I promise I didn't have my problematic um, uh, uh, bat signal, like, ready to go while watching this movie, like, in the middle of it. But it's it's a little over the top how much, how long it is. Like, they make a point of it being, like, the five miles of, uh, you know, that he's going to drag her down. And the the absolute glee the village takes in this this woman this like piece of property getting dragged back to town, like the one lady saying like here's a good stick to to beat her with. Yeah, I wrote down the exact quote. Here's a good stick to beat the lovely lady. <laughs> yeah. Lovely lady. It's like the scene of a movie when like uh, someone's about to do a big heroic thing and the whole town's like gathering behind them, except he's yeah. like uh, like basically domestically abusing his wife, then to, you know, gear up to physically assault a man, <laughs> and it's the quiet man, and the whole movie is was like has this momentum of like there's a way around violence. This guy's trying to find out, <laughs> and. Yeah. Then it says, well, I guess violence works too. So, okay, this scene, I've, I want to try, I'll, I'll try to be careful about what I say here because it's, I, my first thought was as he's dragging her through the field, uh, like, man, this is wildly misogynistic. And then as the scene unfolded, I was like, well, is this just, <laughs> 
it's weird because she wants it. Like, I feel like Mary Kate in this movie is just has been begging to be like, like for him to to be this. And maybe it's it's due to her being brought up with her brother and a bunch of men in the house who just rough house all the time or something. But I, I feel I mean, she's so as he's pushing her and dragging her, there's almost like a, a, a sense of glee on her face. Um which I think you could, I think you could still make the point. I might still agree with the point that maybe the idea that she wants this treatment is misogynistic in some way. Mm-hmm. But I, but I do think that Sean is frustratingly um, sort of giving himself over to the Irish tradition. Uh, he's kind of fought it this whole movie, and he's just like, I want to be. You know, you know, I'm not who cares about the dowry, that kind of thing We're I'm more modern than that. And again, maybe this is where, where this is where John Wayne being Sean makes it a little weird because he's not someone you think of as ultra modern. Um, but I don't know. I had conflicted feelings about that scene for those reasons, which is uh, and I, I don't know. It weirdly reminded me of of uh, L. Do you remember L? From like 2016, 2017? Yeah, I never saw it though. Um, another movie that I was just like, oh, I don't I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. Uh, about, you know, a, a woman enjoying some abuse. Uh, and yeah. it's, uh, I don't know, as a man, it's, it's, it's hard for me to know exactly how to feel about it. But uh, I think the movie wants me to, to think that Mary-Kate is is on board with the the five mile walk. Yeah. And you, you do make a good, good point about it. it it's him giving into the culture and the, her role and her brother's role in kind of, um, I don't know, intrinsic kind of generational violence. Like that's how a lot of European societies were, were founded, like a lot of warring tribes and you fight for what you get and you have to defend your land kind of, kind of things. I'm not Mm going to just cast dispersions on all of Europe, but that seems to be what's at play, at least in this, uh, Irish village. I'm not saying that's all of Ireland, but there's kind of a, I guess a stereotypical Irish fisticuff kind of thing that it's, uh, that it's trying to, Say that Sean giving in to understanding the dowry is also giving in to understanding that the Irish way of life is is uh, fighting, is is putting up and shutting up, you know. And and maybe I didn't I didn't I, I didn't necessarily pick up on this in the movie that she was not actually intending to leave on the train. Um, that's what the the Wikipedia description uh, the plot synopsis says. But if that's the case, and if it if it is established that she does not intend to leave on the train, then she is merely going to the train station to uh, spring him into action. Yeah, to, and to get him to fight for her. I mean, and literally. it begins with her fight her <laughs> almost like to yeah. to to retrieve her from that train station. You know, is I'm, what she I'm wants, with which you. Is weird. I, I don't. I don't. I. We both must have missed something because I did not catch that that was a a scheme. I thought she was just gonna leave. Um, 
I thought that's what that's what she was doing going to the train station when she was going to leave to go to Dublin. Maybe this is what she discusses in Gaelic with uh, or with <laughs> Father Lonergan and. Yeah, it also maybe it was just like a, a thing in the fifties. It would have been obvious that if you had John Wayne, you would want him to fight for you. So they didn't need to explain it to um, twenty twenty folks like me and you. <laughs> yeah. Um. But anyway, it's it's uh it is it is funny how she really just wants to punish Will. Like she just wants him to have to lose that money. Like she clear. I mean, it doesn't make a difference for her and Sean. Uh, obviously he throws it in the boiler and then she has a little smile smirk on her face. Cause she's, she, she, she got what she wanted. Um, and, uh, and Maureen O'Hara really sells it well too. I think that goes a long way towards me buying this, uh, this scene is, is just how good she is in it. Um, yeah, maybe I just dislike it cause I just love Maureen O'Hara as an actress and this character so much, but, uh, it is it is a good example of like her and Sean are so much alike and that they are completely and almost irrevoc- irrevocably inflexible. They're in yes. incredibly stubborn and and fiery creatures. <laughs> like they're both immovable objects going up against each <laughs> other and Sean is the one who tilts. And but maybe some of her glee is she she won is like he's giving into her way rather than the other way around. She's not abandoning her custom. She's coming to, he's coming to her in that way. Is it feminist? <laughs> it's uh, no, I'm not going to argue that <laughs> it's weird, man. It's, it's weird. It's I need, I need, I need a woman to weigh in on this and tell me if this movie is, is like kind of secretly on the sly feminist in some way. Um, because, I don't know. I can see it, but I'm also not going to declare it. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I think it's during this. It's it, well. It's before. It's before the the, the fight starts. But um, it's. Uh, I think it's it's in the section where it's after they're married, where there's a shot of her standing by the fireplace, by the hearth, uh, in in his home, and. It is just a beautiful, like it's a painting to me. And I, I, I jotted it down. I was like, it, this, there's a shot in the interior of Maureen O'Hara by the fire that looks like a painting. Uh, and maybe it's maybe it's because I've watched Barry Lyndon in the last three months where now I'm just suddenly like looking for uh, shots that look like paintings. But it, it really stuck out to me. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So he he knocks Will down. A long fist fight ensues between the two men. Uh, emphasis on long. <laughs> a brawl that attracts more and more spectators as it continues for miles across countryside and village. The fighters finally pause for a drink inside Cohen's bar, where they begrudgingly admit a mutual respect for one another. After arguing over who is to pay for the drinks, Sean ends the fight by hitting Will so hard that he falls back, crashes through the bar's front door, and ends up lying unconscious in the street. Later, the brothers-in-law drink to intoxication, reconcile, and stagger arm-in-arm back to Sean and Mary-Kate's home for supper, much to Mary-Kate's amusement and delight. The next day, a humbled Will and the widow Tulane begin their on-courtship, and they ride out of the village side-by-side in a jaunting car driven by Michaeline. Sean, Mary-Kate, and the villagers wave to them as they pass before Sean and Mary-Kate playfully chase each other 
across the fields back to the cottage. The end. <laughs> um, Part two of Cuckoo Bananas ending <laughs> is this rolling fist fight. <laughs> the comically long fight. Um, that's when I said this is like the end of a Mel Brooks movie. I, I specifically mean Blazing Saddles. This feels like it goes on to that to that length. Um, yeah, this this movie could be like the touchstone of of comedic fights doing that, of and then having a pause and then restarting. <laughs> this yes. could be like the 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 keystone or the the generational uh, forefather of where all that satire comes from. I kind of love this fight um, because I feel like John Ford is, it's just like, Hey, give me two stereotypes about the Irish <laughs> drinking and fighting. Let's add All gambling. right. Let's, <laughs> let's do that for 20 minutes. <laughs> let's have like the fathers like say like, well, yeah, we should break this fight up. Uh, you know, two shillings on Dana here. Um, yeah, man. What a uh, yeah, and it, it, back to it mentions the widow Tulane here, and it, it reminds me of the there, there's there's uh, this really didn't mention the uh, um, how Maureen O'Hara's uh, Mary Kate is seen as a spinster in the movie, mm-hmm. and the constant references to her as a spinster, which uh, really irritate her, are are really funny to me in in the first half, and it's all due to her really good reactions to it it's uh but when they're having the race and mm-hmm. they're uh they're they're putting the bonnets up on the, the the poles and uh it's uh you know the the uh the little rivalry a little bit with widow Tulane, who uh um is, is so you know so proud that her her bonnet is up on the pole and mary kate winds up being convinced to put hers up there basically due to someone calling her a spinster mm-hmm. it's uh I don't know. I liked. I liked that. Uh, anything basically that centered on Mary Kate in this movie, I enjoyed. Yeah, me um, too. But uh, she's got great reactions to to being called out for anything. It's just like, just instant no fuse explosion to to pretty much everything. <laughs> this movie makes me want to seek out more Maureen O'Hara films. Uh, I think I've really only seen this and um, The Parent Trap. As far as I know. Yeah, she had some pairings with John Ford. I only know that because I saw this movie, then I saw How Green Was My Valley, which she's also in. And learning about those movies, she was like a very outspoken actress for her time, is that she would mm-hmm. get into like fights with directors, John hmm. Ford especially. Like uh, in How Green Was My Valley, she stopped production because you know part of it is about coal mining, that the, the basket that they had... Her hold was not era appropriate, so they had them stop filming and get the right basket, and stopped everybody in front of John wow. Ford, and John Ford like called her out, and she stood her ground. Um, he apparently made her like wait at the top of a hill at like night when it was forty degrees for an hour and never showed up. Just like horrible director to women stuff. And in this movie, I think she also had a fight with John Ford and. Um, as a practical joke or something they're in dragging her through the the countryside i think it's on imdb is they there was like uh, cow pies through a certain point and they kept uh moving it in the frame so she'd have to drag through it and mary or uh, maureen o'hara would move it and they kept moving it back and forth 
So would she have to uh, get dragged through cow, you know what? Um, but she she was apparently a uh, yeah, a very strong woman in real life too, standing up to directors for authenticity and for for her characters, which makes me like her even more. Yeah. So, uh, any more any more thoughts on the 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 wild drunken? I I love how the villagers just start fighting themselves. <laughs> like uh, you have you have Sean and Will over like you know rumbling in this one haystack, and then you just have random villagers just throwing punches and pulling them pulling friends off one another uh, in a different haystack. It's like unrelated. They're just like great, let's fight. <laughs> uh, and I also love that Cohen's bar just is like. Well, it's a you know it's a it's a Donnybrook today, so uh, everything's on the house. You know how it goes. <laughs> it's the Irish way, right? Free free drinks will only make this a better brawl. I I don't think this this scene this scene is is entertaining, um, and it is cartoonish and over the top. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's completely from a different movie at this point. I think from the <laughs> from when. John Wayne gives into his Irishness, which is just stereotypical fighting and drinking, um, yeah. is when the movie, um, I guess, kind of pulls the bait and switch. I, I'd say, like, it's called The Quiet Man, and it's a romance, and the poster <laughs> is, like, John Wayne holding Maureen O'Hara. It, it made me think mm-hmm. of, like, for all of you work, work-a-day husbands whose wives dragged you to this film in the theater... Like you're you're watching all this stuff about dowagers and and romance and courtship, and then here's your ending, guys, <laughs> where it's like crazy comical farce and like fights and fists and and all kinds of stuff. I guess I just didn't know enough about what this movie was to see yeah. where that this was coming. I guess this guy this was a bit of a shock to me. And especially, I, get, I guess, I, I don't know, like calling it the quiet man, which, which is, I guess, kind of a joke now, um, or mm-hmm. he, you know, initially a quiet man. And then I guess he gets loud apparently uh, for that uh, adjective to make sense. Um, I guess I, I miss bread where the theme was going like kind of writing the research paper in my head what this theme the movie was about and i probably should have considered it's a 1952 movie from probably a book that was you know most of these movies are from books from a book that was older than 1952 like i guess i shouldn't have expected it to land on the side of non-violence is okay (laughs) which is where i thought the movie was going that they would find they would find a way um i guess my and not to not to knock the movie for n- not to knock the movie for a movie that it's not trying to be, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it it squanders a theme of what does violence mean? Generational violence, violence you're escaping, like violence in America versus violence in Europe. Um, yeah. Uh, there is prob there is probably a you know you could make a version of this movie that is a little more serious that can probably you know deftly handle those questions. I just don't think I don't and, and I'm not saying I'm not 
trying mm-hmm. to give it a pass necessarily for not trying to uh, address topics like that. But I do think that Ford's aim here was more playful, more uh, have a good time at the movies um, and be a, be a comedy. And mm-hmm. um, it is interesting that you, and I'm always fascinated by um, differences in reactions based on what you bring into the movie, like what knowledge of the movie you bring in. And, you know, it, that scene took you by surprise. And for me, I had been kind of waiting for something like that because one of the few things I knew about it was that it was a comedy. Um, I did not know it was a comedy. <laughs> so you, you had, you had little sprinkles of comedy with, uh, Michaeline throughout the movie, but yeah. you, you kind of took it as more of just a, Oh, he's the comic relief. <laughs> yeah. Like from this yeah. era, there are dramas or tragedies that have comic characters just to keep the audience, you know, on Ca- board. Casablanca is a Casablanca is a great example yeah. of a movie with some very funny characters that it's not a comedy. Yeah, and I guess it's it's uh, it's just unique. I kind of went into it a little more blind than than some other movies where I know yeah. more about it. Um, you, I like that. That's a you have a more pure experience watching the movie i mean you can even say if you really want to read it seriously which you know from the ending that that's what makes you know the movie was uh, oh it was breezy all along it's not a big setup for like a big um uh philosophical statement it's just this was fun the whole time and we weren't really doing doing much besides having fun you if you wanted to be serious about it you could say that violence is inescapable is that there, there was no, there's no other option. No matter what a man tries to do, is you know he can't escape his past, and you can't escape violence is the way through in a modern world, as was I, in a historical world. I do think that's kind of the, my takeaway thematically from the movie, which is Sean tries to run from his past, and he goes across an ocean and goes to a place almost not even of the same time as where he comes from. I mean, there's. He even talks about how courtship worked in Pittsburgh, which he's, I mean, he mentions his car. He said, I would pull up to their house and honk the horn. And, you know, Michaeline or whoever, there's no honking here in uh, Innisfree. Um, and uh, he has clearly, I mean, you know, he's running from from his past and maybe his nature. And um, I think that's sort of the... Uh, maybe what I think this movie is about, which is you can, you can run, but, uh, even, even across an ocean and, uh, across maybe even, uh, a different time, your nature will still find you. Yep. But you're right. I, I do think that it could very well be about, it could have, uh, gone in a direction that handled that really well. And it did, it did not, but, Oh well, yeah. And not saying right. it it had to. I guess that was right. my my uh, baggage. I was uh, bringing to it. Do you have any other uh, any other thematic things you want to point out? No, I think the um, in talking through the plot, they went through my big things about the role of violence. Uh, we talked about pretty extensively, and uh, mm-hmm. um, another um, fish out of water, just like a John McClane in California. We have like a American modern man going up against old, like a, a different culture, different customs. But we kind of talked through those, I think, pretty well. Those are the, the two big ones I had. 
Yeah, a fish out of water, like uh, you could say um, Benoit Blanc in Massachusetts. <laughs> there you go. Is a fish out of water. Um. <laughs> All right, so uh, so the Oscars. The uh, 1952, what would this have been? The 26th Oscars or so, 25th maybe, um, Academy Awards. And uh, this was a, a uh, I think it led, it was tied for the most nominations with seven. And um, it won two. No, it won, yes, two. Mm-hmm. Two Oscars. So uh, let's start with Best Director. Which it won. John Ford, as you mentioned earlier, won his fourth Oscar for uh, for directing. Um, as usual, I'll I'll just ask: Did it strike you as a movie that you know had excellent direction? And uh, second, looking at the list of uh, of nominees, which included the Greatest Show on Earth, or Cecil Cecil B. DeMille for the Greatest Show on Earth, Fred Zinnemann for High Noon, John Huston for Moulin Rouge, and Joseph L. Mankiewicz for Five Fingers. Uh, is this the movie that you would vote for at this point? So I was just thinking Five Fingers would be the movie that I would have invented. <laughs> I've, n- I've never heard of that movie. I know Joseph Mankiewicz. Um, from these, uh, I've seen Greatest Show on Earth. I was not not the biggest fan of it. Um, it's basically a circus documentary with a uh, narrative kind of bolted onto it. Um, the direction in this is is pretty gorgeous. Um, yeah, that's the Senate, you know, it's hard to, I, I'd probably lump this with cinematography. Um, the cinematography and direction together are, are pretty phenomenal. Um, so it's basically this or high noon for, for me. High noon's very good. Um, yeah. And especially the way that movie plays with time and like the ticking clock and the, the, uh, the incremental tension um, I might give it to, yeah, uh, I might tr- do some horse trading here and I might give it to high noon for director here and close second place would probably be this movie. It is very well executed. I've only seen those two. I've only seen the quiet man and high noon. Um, I'm going to go John Ford here and I think he gets, um, he gets performances out of John Wayne, Maureen O'Hara and Victor McLaughlin that uh, bring out the, the, I think he brings out good dramatic performances from them as well as comedic performances. And um, also just the coordination of the, 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 the big brawl at the end and how uh, that all goes up. And then probably most of all is just his vision of this little village that I, that I, I really do think those are the, the small touches in the movie that I really do appreciate. And uh, I really give John Ford credit there. It's been a long time since I've seen High Noon. Maybe I would reverse on a rewatch. But uh, for uh, I like John Ford's uh, win here. Mm-hmm. Um, for uh, Although, I mean, this is going to now be the start of my uh, Oscar grievances of 1952 because if I could pick a movie for best director of 1952, Stanley Donen for Singing in the Rain. Yep. Yep. Hands I mean, down. That movie was exquisitely directed <laughs> and it's stunning to me that it's not nominated. Yeah. I can't argue a single word of that. I completely agree. 
<clears throat> All right, best cinematography, uh, color cinematography. Uh, this one for uh, Winton Hotch and Archie Stout. Uh, it beat out um, Harry Stradling Jr. for Hans Christian Andersen, Freddie Young for Ivanhoe, George J. Dorsey for Million Dollar Mermaid, and Leon Shamroy for The Snows of Kilimanjaro. Well, I've not seen any of those films, so I'm going to have to agree with the win here. Yeah, same. I've, I think I've heard of Hans Christian Andersen, and I know what Ivanhoe is, but I don't know the rest of these movies. Um, like we've said, the cinematography is, is still gorgeous to this day um, from this movie, so I think, yeah, definitely well-deserved here. I mean, I, I'm sure Ivanhoe's got great cinematography, and that's I'm only saying that because I've, I'm, I I know the name Freddie Young mm-hmm. as a cinematographer, and he's I know that he's very good, although... I'm blanking on what I know him from, but it's uh, I'm, uh, that's the name of the, the set that I recognize the most. Um, but yeah, this movie we talked about a lot uh, being gorgeously filmed. Um, if Singing in the Rain were involved, what would your pick be? For cinematography? For cinematography. Ooh, probably Singing in the Rain. I think of the, uh, the dream ballet with the... Uh, centuries yeah, the, uh, yeah broadway story and the long scarf and it's just uh that with the rest of the uh, oh, uh the dance sequences are yeah i'd yeah. probably give it to that i mean this the the singing in the rain scene the way the camera is almost dancing along with them it's just it's perfect um but it's tough that, that's it's that's that's a little tougher yeah all right best picture uh this was nominated against the greatest show on earth High Noon, Ivanhoe, and Moulin Rouge, and The Greatest Show on Earth won. So what would be your best picture pick from these? <clears> not Greatest Show on Earth. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> um, between these these three, again, this is the same as the director bunch. Um, I've, I've yep. only seen uh, the three of them. <clears throat> I'd probably go with uh, High Noon. It's the more high-minded movie about the impact of violence. It's actually really interesting their movies were kind of both about cowardice versus uh, violence in, in determining the measure of a man and, and who's going to stand kind of up for what they believe in at the end. Um, I think uh, historically, <clears throat> um, the only reason High Noon didn't win to begin with was because they had a blackballed uh, commie writer and it was, uh, mm. you know, it was being listed as it was un-american that gary cooper didn't want to fight and i guess didn't get into a rolling donny brook at the end to say i was just kidding the whole time <laughs> um um i would also vote for yeah. high noon here it's a very very well done movie and it's <clears throat> not that it has to be but it's much more high-minded and has more at stake i guess than than this movie does for me yeah um also singing in the rain. Um, <laughs> for, uh, for 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 best supporting actor, Victor McLaughlin was nominated against uh, eventual winner Anthony Quinn for Viva Zapata, Arthur Honeycutt for The Big Sky, Jack Palance for Sudden Fear, and Richard Burton for My Cousin Rachel. Well, once again, I'm left with only having seen The Quiet Man, so uh, support Victor McLaughlin <laughs> here. Although I uh, I do wonder if Barry Fitzgerald might have also been a, a good nominee. yeah. 
You know, when we've done like 500 of these, we're going to be like, oh yeah, Jack Pounds and Sudden Fear. That is pretty good. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah that's the only one I've seen. I actually, uh, I purposely didn't look at the nom, like I didn't know this movie that well besides director. I didn't look at what it was nominated for until after I saw it. And when I saw Best Supporting mm-hmm. Actor, I thought it would have been Barry Fitzgerald. Because that seemed to be like yeah. the more fun, more showy thing that they sometimes do in, yeah. in Supporting Actor. Um so, uh, but I do really like Victor McLaughlin in, in here, so I'll give it to him. I do too. Yeah. Uh, best writing or screenplay. Uh, Frank Nugent was nominated against eventual winner Charles Schnee for The Bad and the Beautiful, Michael Wilson for Five Fingers, Carl Foreman for High Noon, and Roger McDougall, John Dighton, and Alexander McKendrick for The Man in the White Suit. Uh, I've only heard of two of these movies, and we're back to The Quiet Man, High Noon. Uh, <laughs> Uh, split and I think for writing I'm gonna go high noon. Yeah, same with me. Some solidarity with a blacklisted writer, um, and it's just a very yeah. well written movie. Mm-hmm. How about for best art direction? Um, it was uh, it was Quiet Man versus Moulin Rouge, which won. Uh, Hans Christian Andersen, The Merry Widow, mm-hmm. and The Snows of Kilimanjaro. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I've, Again, Quiet Man is all I've got here, so I guess I'm voting for it. But the, uh, I don't know. The art direction was pretty good. It was a the the setting is the thing that did it for me. Yeah, that's part movie. of the beauty and and them dressing either finding or dressing up the village, <clears throat> and just some of like the American touches, like the uh, uh, Reverend Playfair's wife saying like, "I like the green doors." Only an American would think of emerald green. Like red is more durable. <laughs> like it's just a. a, a <laughs> Uh, like an American's version of what Irishness is for how he's doing his cottage. So I think it would be, it's the only one I've seen here, but it would be a, you know, semi-worthy winner in a, if it's in a field of one for me and I guess that's, yeah, take it for what it is. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> this, uh, this next category is, uh, one of my favorites here. It's best sound recording. And so it was the quiet man versus Hans Christian Anderson the promoter with a song in my heart and what has to be the most unfair nomination, uh, a movie called the sound barrier, which is about trying to break the sound barrier. <laughs> and of course that one best sound recording, <laughs> it's called the sound barrier. It's not even fair. Um, the quiet man, I did. I do think it did a really good job of, uh, you know, keeping track of all the, the sound amidst the, uh, the brawling village. Um, at the end but uh other than that it really didn't stand out in a in a big way for me yeah there there is a good bit of singing in the movie which which you know oh, that's true that's is always true. getting in things and you can always you can always hear john wayne singing in his very sort of flat monotone uh voice mm-hmm. in the background uh do you think it was uh it was snubbed in any other categories um <clears throat> only one i can think of off the top of my head because we're both uh apparently big maureen o'hara fans is in best actress yeah um the lineup there is like uh she's, she would have gone up against betty davis joan crawford suzanne hayward julie harris and shirley booth in uh some of their movies um i don't think i've seen any of these movies they were in including sudden fear it's another time that's coming up but i don't know i would put her in in there um yeah i think uh having that character fail to be 
um, I don't know, still kind of charming and irresistible. Like, it needs to be obvious why this American is so drawn to her. And understand that even though she's um, owing a lot to her customs, that she's still independent and fiery and her own person. I think it takes a... a, uh, a actress to be really worth her salt to make that work and i think yes. uh, she does a great job doing that i would have had her in i agree i think mary kate uh, i think mary kate is the most is kind of the dominant force of the three characters the uh which is which is kind of funny considering it's the other two that they're always talking about fighting but i think she's the real kind of um dominant force in the movie and I think it owes completely to Maureen O'Hara's casting. Yeah. Um, she's the only one with like a real arc where she's in a different place. Like uh, John Wayne retreats back to violence. Everyone else kind of retreats back to their like stereotypical Irishness. She starts as a widow under the thumb of her dominant brother and uh, now has agency in a household. So you can say it's, mm-hmm. it's the quiet man, but it's her movie, the loud woman. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, uh, that takes us perfectly to the cast. And uh, um, so you, I know you're not a big fan of John Wayne in this movie. I don't know that I'm a big fan of John Wayne in this movie, but I do like him. And I actually don't, I don't think he's miscast necessarily. Um, I think he's miscast if you're trying to do maybe some more serious things with the movie. Mm-hmm. But I do like him because I think he is... He, he kind of fits this idea of Sean being this kind of immovable force, this, mm-hmm. this, uh, this, this guy who's just going to, uh, who, who, who doesn't really want to deal with all these old Irish customs um, and is uh, not going to be flexible or bent on those types of things. And he, I, I think John Wayne is, is good in that respect. Also think he has really good chemistry with Maureen O'Hara which works a lot in this movie. Um, so I, even though I, I agree in some respects with what you said earlier about there being certain flaws and he can't quite bring certain things to the dramatic scenes of the movie, at least as well as he can as, as he does in the, the flashback, which is really good. But um, I do think that overall the movie works more for him being in it than, than otherwise. You um, make some good points. It's uh <clears throat> Maybe it's just like a it's just a really tough role to have to be romantic yeah. comedy and tragedy in the in the uh, flashback and be believable as a uh, tough guy and then sell the physical comedy at the end. Um, I can't think of anyone I would replace him with, but the, I don't know. I'm, I'm, he still didn't totally work for me. Maybe just that role in general didn't really work for me. Yeah, I mean he's he's the straight man, so it's it's not asking him to flex too much until he snaps, um, and in which case it's just like, hey, go be a go be cowboy John Wayne mm-hmm. <laughs> after you grab her from the train station. Um, Maureen O'Hara, we we both have talked about loving in this movie. Um, Barry Fitzgerald is just hilarious every time he's on screen. It seems uh, War Bond is in this movie as as the, the father, the, the Catholic priest. And, uh, it's just kind of like, I mean, I guess he's just there cause John Ford just called him up for almost every movie at that <laughs> point or something. Um, doesn't really have a ton to do. 
the cast I thought was was pretty good in building like little facets of this little Irish village, but nobody really stood out to me. Yeah. Um, so uh, we get to John Ford. Um, no, I'm not going through all these movies. There are, um, I think he has seventy something movies in my seventy eight films in my database, and he made even many more than that. But um, do you have a favorite John Ford movie? I think I've only seen. I, I'm a. This probably doubled my number of John Ford movies I've seen. <clears throat> he's he's a blind spot for me. Um, of these, I think I've only seen How Green Was My Valley. Oh, I've seen three. How Green Was My Valley, um, this movie, and uh, I've seen Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Um, of those, I probably like Liberty Valance <clears throat> the most. Um, yeah, and probably How Green Was My Valley a little bit more than this one. Um, but there's there's a ton here. I mean, I haven't seen Stagecoach, The Searchers, all, like a lot of classics that are here. Young Mr. Lincoln, mm-hmm. some real fat, famous <clears throat> Oscar and just film historical stuff. He's definitely a blind spot for me. How about yourself? I've seen Liberty Valance. I've seen The Searchers. I've seen Stagecoach. I've seen Quiet Man. I thought I'd seen one more on the list, but maybe not. Um, so I guess it's just those four. Um, I am, uh, yeah, I'll go, uh, I mean, I like the quiet man, but I'm the searchers is probably my favorite. Um, stagecoach didn't leave a big impression on me, so I might have it fourth out of the set. I might, maybe I like the quiet man more than, more than that, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I need to watch more Ford. I, I'll never be a Ford completist. I don't think I'll live that long. To, even if I started tonight, yeah. but uh, um, that's uh, it's uh, I, I, I like his stuff, but I don't feel like the the calling to watch more on a regular basis. Um, and this Quiet Man doesn't really move the needle much in that respect. So, uh, any guesses as to where John Ford ranks? He's got a ton of movies. <clears throat> He's got some four on Letterbox, so I'm I'm gonna guess high. <clears throat> But he's also got some stinkers in there, or stinkers in terms of some some like he was doing out like three four movies a year at some point. Not all of them were mm-hmm. were great. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna say like St- stinkers don't hurt. I will say stinkers don't I'm gonna, hurt. I'm gonna, they just waste time. I'm do like a a bold go really high because that just seems more optimistic than going really low. I'm gonna go like 18. Oh, you're very close. This is a. Uh... Uh, you're you are uh, this is the closest you've ever gotten on a mm. guess. John Ford ranks twenty third ah. in my in my list. Um, yeah, I think it's due to the fact that maybe he just doesn't have any um, out and out masterpieces by ranking, which is a little weird. Uh, I think I think the man who shot Liberty Valance is his highest rated movie. It's at four point one, um, and I think maybe Letterboxd users underrate maybe the Searchers a bit or. Um, stagecoach but there's definitely a revisionist um not that it's it's wrong or right there's a revisionist look at a lot of westerns and especially a lot of john wayne movies in the past couple years sure that maybe could influence that um i think people Mm -hmm. that are 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 active in letterboxd may be more um aware of what's going on with that you know just 
and I, you know, I, I understand that that's a, like revisionist westerns are also like like Unforgiven mm-hmm. or Django Unchained. They're they're much more. I think they speak more to the time we live in now. Um, but uh, I still think uh, old westerns are are uh, they have something to offer. Maybe maybe not in the same way, but. Uh, they can be really, really good uh, when when done correctly, and I think Ford was pretty good at yeah. that. And it could be the kind of people who really love westerns. I mean, just stereotypically, those are like for our generation, that's like dad movies or your granddad movies. It's like something you either inherit or you really have to work to <clears throat> go out and appreciate. And that generation yeah. just may be not as active of rating movies, where there's kind of a uh, um, like a survey bias there for <laughs> being a little low, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, <clears throat> any any final thoughts on The Quiet Man? Um, I don't know. Maybe I just have to kind of sit with it a little more. Um, I, I, I hate reviews of movies where the movie you thought it was going to be, it wasn't. Like, that's not the movie's fault. <laughs> that's your expectations' fault. Um, yeah. And it's not its fault. It did this with its theme. So maybe I just need to sit a little longer with it. You know, or its title. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so it's still kind of a mixed bag for me. But in in listening to you and reflecting on some of the stuff, the stuff it does well, it does really well. And the stuff it doesn't yeah. do as well for me just may be a uh, you know a season to taste thing for for myself. So uh, what connection does this movie have to Knives Out continuing our tradition? <laughs> the only thing I wrote in the notes is uh, speaking truths in pubs. <laughs> Ransom taking uh, Marta out and figuring out the plan. And then, you know, yeah. um, Danaher and uh, <clears throat> Thornton hashing it out as, as uh, equals and lay it in all out there in the middle of their fight. Uh, beyond that, I don't know. I couldn't really think of anything. Uh, oh, a lot of fuss about a uh, who's who owns a house i guess who gets to own a house Danaher will Danaher thought it was uh, his because <laughs> yeah. he'd worked so hard with the widow and it turns out it's just going to yeah. come to an american you know a fish out of water like an immigrant to the country there you go yeah wow perfect <laughs> okay well I'm looking forward to how we'll tie this movie to our next film. Speaking of our next film, um, all right, this is, uh, I'm going to give you the, uh, the tagline here. A timeless story of strength, secrets, and two warriors who would never surrender. This was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. I have not seen this movie in 20 years. Two warriors who would never surrender. Oh, do you have a decade? Two uh, thousands. I saw it. Uh, it's. Uh, I saw it right after it came out. Oh wow! And I have not seen it since. Ten Oscars. Ten. This is nominated for. I can't. I can't believe that. It was a big deal. Is it uh, Crouching Tiger? It is indeed Crouching nice. Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which I was uh, very excited to see pop up on the uh, random list generator when. Uh, because I've been eyeing that movie for a while. It is streaming uh, on Amazon Prime in 4K if you have it, and uh, it's also streaming in, in regular HD. But I've been uh, 
I've been wanting to watch that in 4K for uh, for a bit now, and so now I finally have a reason to. Um, I remember next to nothing from this movie other than I thought it was cool 20 years <clears throat> ago. Yeah, I, I last time I saw it, it was in the theater when I watched it, and it just blew me away. And there's just <clears throat> there's a thing for some movies for me <clears throat> where it's it's uh, I don't know if I can describe it as like you just get like a tingle or you get like this movie's different kind of feeling. And when I was watching it, it's like I thought it was just a martial arts movie, and it was just so much more profound to me at the time. Like it just like that's the feeling for me. It's like good to great. So I've always held it in high esteem as like a uh, one of the great movies of the last 20 years. So I'll be curious to revisit it. Hopefully it, it holds up. I really want it to. Yeah. Um, and for me, this is almost going to be a fresh, like a, a first time watch. It'll be close to the same thing for me. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to see this. Anyway, it's on Amazon Prime. And uh, that's it. So thanks for listening. This is here are the nominees. Um, David had a run here at the very last second, so that's why I'm just uh, bloviating into the wind here. So uh, uh, <laughs> please subscribe, leave us a rating, uh, follow uh, our Facebook groups if you want at Movies By Us, TV By Us, and Games By Us. Uh, you can uh, reach us at um, themediabyus.com or uh, yeah, themediabyus at gmail.com. And uh, that's it. Thanks for listening. And on behalf of David and myself, bye.